listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. I'm your host, Jessica, and today we're talking with Chris Minnick of the Northwest Evaluation Association, more commonly known as NWEA. Fun fact, about one in five students in America monitor their academic growth using the NWEA tests. In the fall of 2017, NWEA, a Portland-based nonprofit, named Chris Minnick the new CEO. Chris had most recently served as the executive director of the Council of Chiefs State School Officers, and during his decade there, Chris led the Chiefs through the update to federal education policy that brought an end to a decade of unpresidential federal control and investment in K-12 education. In his new role at NWEA, Minnick will help invent the future of assessment. Tom had a chance to talk with Chris about where he's been and where he sees the future of education and assessment heading. Let's listen in. Chris Minnick, welcome to the Getting Smart Podcast. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. Where did you go to high school? Uh, I went to high school in Salem, Oregon, about 60 miles south of Portland. And uh, I grew up actually in Baltimore, Maryland, and moved uh, to Oregon when I was 10. So in fifth grade, I moved across the country. I, I hear you were a good student. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, w- I was I was a 4.0 uh, high school student and uh, one of the valedictorians in my high school. Yeah, I was. Does that have anything to do with your career interest in education? It does, because when I left high school, I went to the University of Washington, and um, I really, even being a student that had high GPA, um, good good uh, college entrance scores, I wasn't ready uh, for university. I wasn't ready in a number of ways. I wasn't ready to socially adapt to, to having my own responsibilities, but I also just couldn't write at the college level, and I, I, I had some real big deficiencies. And my first two years or so of, uh, of my college experience were really hard. So, it's, yes, that, that sort of drives me towards, I think, our system's designed for uh, kids that sort of step along a normal, uh, quote-unquote, normal track. And so I think we've got to be a whole lot more attentive to kids that we leave out of that normal track, whether it be high achievers or kids who need more help from us. How did you make it to the Oregon Department of Education? You know, I got out of college, and my mom was living in Salem, Oregon still, and I moved back home with her, and she told me I needed to get a, a job. I was I was planning to go to law school. I was a political science major at the University of Washington. I was going to continue to law school, and then I got the bug. I ended up temporary working, so temp working at the Oregon Department of Education. I was answering phones. And we kept getting all these phone calls from districts. It was really, it was right at the beginning of No Child Left Behind, early, uh, early 2000s. And people were calling and saying, "What are these test results? What, what are, what, what's going on with kids? Why, why are, why are we taking all these new tests?" And uh, I became passionate that assessments could be a vehicle for changing things for, for kids. And if we presented information in a way that could help teachers know what's next for kids. Uh, and then that, that sort of migrated me down an assessment path before I ended up in, in Washington, D.C. at CCSSL. So. You really became a, an early leader in online assessment, at least at, for a state DOE. Yeah, you know, we were, if we weren't the first, we were one of the first. Right. In the 2003, 2004 timeframe, we were, uh, we began testing kids online in, in Oregon. And, you know, I was one of the people that was part of that. And I, we, I remember our first year, we had 28 schools try to test online. And I went out to each of them to look at their technology. Some of them still had dial-up 
connections to the internet. And so kids were waiting 60, 75 seconds in between questions. And, you know, the kids were think it was great. They thought it was a game. But the, the teachers were, 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 were less uh, enthusiastic about that. Man, the things have really changed <laughs> over the last 15 years around that. When did you join uh, the Council of Two State School Officers? You know, I was I was interested in the policy making side because I thought we were setting up policies that were bad for assessments and bad for kids. And I had some experience in sort of how standards mix with assessments and and I and I feel like and I still feel like our, our grade based standards conversation sometimes is devoid of pathways for every kid, right? And so there should be no doubt that every kid should have a goal and we should be trying to hit those goals with those kids. But to say every kid should learn the same thing every year is really hard for me. So I'm sort of conflicted by this idea that for far too long we haven't pushed kids far enough, but we also we need some set of grade consistent grade level standards across the country so we know how we're doing. And so, you know, when I came to CCSSO, my first project was actually around performance-based assessment. And we were sort of piloting some of the stuff that's uh, trying to go on, that is now going on in New Hampshire with uh, um, uh, thinking about common performance tasks and, and things like that. But then I quickly pivoted uh, when we decided to write uh, standards. Uh, I was asked to lead the, uh, the effort to write the Common Core, and, and that was, uh, you know, transformational for, for my uh, trajectory in my career. So you became executive director at CCSSO at a unusual time. I guess we'll look back at the period of 2000 to 2012 as a really unusual time for the Department of Education of having not only a very strong policy role, but in the last few years, an enormous investment role as a result mm-hmm. of, of that big ARRA. And so you, you yeah. stepped in to CCSSO sort of at the end of this strong period of federal involvement. That must have made it an an interesting time to serve state chiefs. Yeah, um, you know, it was uh, it was a moment where we were feeling as chiefs, I think that um, that there maybe was too much push coming from the federal side. You know, so while um, while I think it is overplayed how much federal involvement there was, I do think there was a clear decision made by the Obama administration under Secretary Duncan to be more active in state policy making and create incentives to uh, have states go towards certain policies. And uh, that created this situation where states were feeling like they had less control over their decision making. I think uh, I would argue that um, that some of the policy making they did was really good policy. Like so, sort of like in the race to top space, they pushed people towards certain things, but they did give them options to to get out. Uh, there wasn't, uh, you didn't have to apply for Race to the Top. It was additional money, those types of things. It was when they went towards No Child Left Behind waivers that things became harder for our members because then you're talking about money that's in the system already, and in order to keep or get the flexibility um, around No Child Left Behind, you had to do certain things. And I think that's really the... You know, for me, the point where I think they may have gone a bit too far. So you're back in Oregon. Uh, you joined NWA, the leading adaptive assessment company. Uh, why NWA? 
Well, I think it's got a huge base, uh, and I'm really excited to be here. It's got a huge user base, right? One in five students in the country see these assessments every year, and um, and there is a, a a great reason to use those assessments. Uh, you're monitoring growth of students over time. I think one of the things that I want to continue to work on is thinking about what types of decisions are we driving with those assessments, and what if those tests really did drive instructional choices as well as gave us good information on how kids were growing, and um, and also. Think about the uh, the the whole movement towards competency based assessments. Could we could we could we align this around more of a competency based approach that would allow uh, students to grow over time and show us when they're meeting certain activities versus a standardized growth trajectory um, that we have for every student? It's just like what I was talking about earlier. Our low kid, low, lower performing kids need to be pushed hard to try to get higher, and our high-performing kids need to be pushed hard as well. And if we sort of just standardize that, that's not uh, that's not going to work long term. So I just think it's got a huge opportunity as an organization to change the way we're thinking about assessment across the country. Let's come back to that. For people that don't know, NWA is the leading, uh, it's a non-profit organization that provides adaptive assessment. So these are not the same test. It's a test that adjusts the degree of difficulty of questions so it makes the the test more efficient and more quickly zeroes in on a student's learning level. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the tests are given beginning, middle, and end of year to measure growth. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, three, well, the, the districts have the option to take it up to three times a year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the subjects you cover, um, reading, Language yeah, use, right now, math. Yeah, reading, reading, language use, math, science, um, and we now have an early reading product, so a, sort of a K three assessment that uh, monitors how students are learning their reading fluency. So um, uh, we're we're at a place where we're trying to broaden away from a single assessment to a set of measures that help kids understand where they are. So uh, I want to pick up on something you just said and go back to an earlier point in your career when you were working on performance assessments right before you started working on the Common Core. I do see a growing number of schools uh, trying to move towards more of a competency-based approach, and they're interested in using multiple forms of assessment, including adaptive assessments like the, uh, the MAP test from NWEA, but also using teacher-scored performance tasks. Do, do you see a way to use those kinds of assessments together to both improve learning and to make mastery judgments? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it comes down to trying not to overcommit one measure or the other, right? So there's a reason to use a, a sort of quick adaptive assessment that's able to be scored by a computer for or progress around certain skills. But to go deeper on some of those skills, you're going to need performance assessment from teachers. You're going to need cross, the cross even like classroom scoring and things like that. So I, I think there's a real opportunity here. You know, one of the things uh, we're doing right now is we're, we're working in the state of Nebraska to try to create an assessment system versus just having three tests during the year on MAP. So 
Um, the, Nebraska has asked us to, to provide their end of year assessment now. So we're doing that for the first time this year. And what I, what I hope that we'll get to is a place where districts can use the map assessment during the year or something like that and also some performance tasks possibly during the year. And then at the end of the year, it'll be a very short conversation because we will already know how students have been doing during the year. And so, you know, to satisfy that federal accountability measure, they're going to need to give an assessment at the end of the year. But could it be a activity in which we only assess the student on things we're unsure if they know already? And so, it, it, you know, it's really this funny dichotomy for me. These end-of-year tests all have been built with the assumption that we know nothing about what the students have learned during the year. We actually know a lot about what students have learned during the year. And if we combine those things, we would actually get the best metrics, and we would also not have to test students so much. So so the, I just think there's a huge opportunity to combine these things and, and stop pretending that we don't know stuff about kids when we do. I like the way you said that. I, I often say a good school knows how every kid is doing in every subject every day, and it's silly to take a, a week off at the end of the year and pretend that you don't know anything. Yep. Yeah, and so, you know, but that requires a shift in our policymaking. It requires a shift in how we think about interim assessment. It requires a shift. Uh, we we got to get to a learning continuum. You know, we, we, we can't be thinking about, you know, a student who's in third grade who is uh, still reading at the first grade level. Uh, we sure as heck need to push them forward hard, but we don't need, you know, we shouldn't be worried about third grade standards if they can't read yet. You know, and um, we, but we got to get them there. We got to push, and so I think there's a set of assessments that could really help paint that picture better than we are in the country. Honestly, I think assessment is the biggest area for disruption in the next five to seven years. I, I appreciate your interest in multiple forms of assessment. When we think about competency, we see uh, really two poles emerging. One is a set of reductionists that will only accept external um, valid and reliable measures, but completely divorced from the learning experience, and other groups of schools that rely solely on teacher judgment. And there's benefits but big drawbacks to relying just on one set of assessments, and we, we think, uh, as you've described, that Combining multiple forms of assessment really does provide a lot of benefit, calibration, and it allows a set of policies, as you've described, where we, we could actually use a really lightweight sort of an end-of-year assessment. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason why we can't use this information during the year. And, frankly, good instruction comes from uh, that back and forth with the kid. And so you should be assessing a kid, you know, almost daily as a teacher, right? And, uh, right. you know, whether it be exit tickets or, uh, homework, uh, all this is assessment and all this is information about kids. And if we, if we take that lens, then we can have a different conversation about what an organization like NWEA should do because we could be a part of that, but not, not try to be all of that. Are there things that would, help teachers and schools combine multiple forms of assessment. One of the exciting things that has happened since you went to CCSSO is that uh, everybody's connected now, and so a fifth grader will get five forms of assessment data every week in math. They'll get 
data from their teacher, maybe a math test, a, a Dreambox score. They'll go home and they'll jump on Khan Academy. And so they're getting all this feedback on how they're doing. But right now, that feedback is really hard to combine. Yeah. Well, I mean, that would help massively. I, I think the hard part is we, we have to we have to attend the students' privacy needs, and we have to make sure that we're not sort of uh, uh, oversharing or, or sharing beyond the educators that need that data on a student. But uh, at the same time, the medical field I know has wrestled with this because uh, patient care is a comprehensive thing and you know education should be comprehensive for those students uh, my son's in kindergarten he's got a dream box account he was playing on it last night and i said well does your teacher get to see this and and he's like i think so but he, he didn't know and they they weren't making the connections back into the classroom yet so i guess um uh, I, I guess i'm really interested in trying to to what is in front of the kids matters a lot more than I think we've given credit. You know, we thought we could just do standards and do assessments, but the actual stuff that kids are learning matters a lot too. And I, I think we gotta we gotta do some paying attention to that as well. Like our friends at um, INACOL, they're big advocates of assessment literacy. It sounds like you have an interest in helping teachers make better use of formative data. Yeah, you know, so before I got here, we were in Michigan and and uh, we formed an assessment literacy task force in the state of Michigan, trying to push some of that out. And uh, you know, we we uh, uh, we provided the the space and the time, but it really was the educators on the ground that came together and made some recommendations about how uh, the Michigan teachers wanted to wanted to push on assessment literacy. But I do think I do think if we got to a place where teachers and administrators understood what inferences you can make from certain data points. I think we would we would be better off. Um, uh, I, I do think we're never going to get away from some set of um, policymaker needs, and nor should we. That um, where you know, legislators and governors and taxpayers want to know how we're doing with kids. So we've got to figure out ways to provide that information in a way that has context, and we've got to do better for all kids. I mean. And I, I just think, you know, uh, uh, we've got an opportunity here as a country in the next seven to ten years to really step up because we've got the, the the things in place. We've got higher standards across the country. We've got different assessments that I think are driving towards those standards. But what if we got um, uh, schools really looking at where individual students are over time? And that that the uh, accountability systems just became second nature. Like, that, yeah, that's something that's reported, but really, I already know where my kids are. So it, you know, that's something that's just going to happen, and I know where my kids are. That's not the culture in most places right now. You've been at um, NWA for really a uh, matter of weeks now, uh, a few months. Um, do you have a sense yet of what's on the roadmap for the organization? What, what would you like yeah. to Yeah, I mean, so I talked earlier about our early learning uh, solution around reading. I think that's a big uh, push for us, and I, and I really believe it's 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 something that's going to help kids, uh, especially as they learn to read up to third grade. I think I think it's it's a product where um, kids read into the computer, and the, there's artificial intelligence that's used to sort of feedback to the teacher uh, immediately. 
uh, you know, how they're doing on their fluency. It also has a comprehension measure, so we ask them a couple questions about what they've read. Um, and and it's really, I think, a, a, a strong product for us. So I see us focusing in that area. And I also see us looking at our map assessment and just trying to make it, uh, A, hold on to the good things about it, that it shows growth over time, that it, that it gives administrators a good picture of where their kids are as a as a whole. But also think about how teachers use our assessment and, uh, you know, maybe complement the, the map assessment with some other things that, that could dig deeper for students, meaning there may be some, you know, maybe maybe a student takes a map test and is weak in a certain area, and then we go ahead and give them another couple questions in that area to see where they're really struggling so that we give better information back to teachers uh, quickly. So I think those are two areas that I see us uh, digging in pretty hard on. It's exciting. You must be be happy to be back in Oregon. Yeah, you know, I um, I grew up in Oregon, as I said earlier, and uh, it's nice to be home in Portland. Uh, we are, uh, you know, we started as a uh, a, a, a agreement between school districts here in Oregon, actually, and now we're in every state and uh, countries across the world uh, with our, with our assessment products. And so, I just think we got a huge opportunity to shift the dialogue around assessments towards one that is providing better information back to teachers and driving instructional choices, and also gives administrators the opportunity to see how classrooms and schools are doing in terms of progress. It's exciting. Chris, um, there's a lot of us that really appreciate your contribution and, and leadership at CCSSO during an interesting period of history, and uh, we want to wish you all the best at NWEA. That's great. And I just, just end by saying thank you, Tom, for, for this podcast, but not also, just also what you've done in the education space. I'm really interested in, uh, in helping educators and policymakers make this shift um, to, towards competency-based, towards every student uh, getting what they need. So excited to do that at a new place. State assessments were designed to help make sure that every student gets a good education, but they've grown so long that preparing for them and taking them sucks up a lot of time. In this podcast, Chris Minnick described a future where we combine adaptive assessment and performance assessment to know exactly how kids are doing in real time. This means that at the end of the year, with surgical precision, we could just test gaps in areas of uncertainty. To learn more about high-quality formative assessment, listen to conversations we had with experts and teachers from Austin, Dallas, and Tulsa in our Season 3, Episode 14 podcast. We'll include a link in the show notes below. And thank you for tuning into the podcast today. If you haven't yet, please hit subscribe and leave us a rating. It helps us get better, and it makes it easier for your friends to find us. Lastly, for more on all things innovations and learning, be sure to check out our blog at gettingsmart.com. We post content daily and we hope you check it out. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Jessica signing off. Hey.